Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. And if you sat through the State of the Union speech last night, I guarantee you that the next seven minutes will be far more interesting and entertaining than every single minute of the speech last night. Here to discuss it is the editor of the Weekly Standard, Bill Crystal. Bill, didn't we hear almost the same speech in 2011, 10, and 9? You know, I didn't uh, watch or listen last night. I'm embarrassed to say I, I fell down on my job as a 24-7 pundit. I had a pleasant dinner with a friend and then came home and watched some of the Westminster dog show. So, I was, you know, even though I was upset, of course, that the uh, Aussie, the Australian uh, Shepherd, had, had lost in the first round, I, I still, it was fun watching the dogs. And, uh, you know, they performed. I mean, it's kind of a bizarre sport, I've got to say. But anyway, not, not less bizarre than watching the President of the United States stand up there for God, how long was that? 70, 80 minutes or something like that? And uh, lay out in a really uninspiring, I thought, and uninteresting way uh, his big government agenda. You know, there, uh, he, he quoted at the beginning of his speech a uh, Kennedy from 51 years ago. He said, as President Kennedy said 51 years ago, and he quoted one sentence. And I was just curious, so I went back and looked at Kennedy's 1962 State of the Union speech, and it was, wasn't the greatest speech he ever gave or anything. But that was a day when liberalism had a real agenda and had really believed in itself and thought it would do good things in the world. And some of the things it did were, was good, you know, were good, uh, civil rights revolution uh, and, and so forth. Uh, Kennedy's speech also was very tough on fighting communism, boasted of increases in the defense budget. And some of the things he proposed were, you know, silly sort of early big government programs. But liberals at least had a liberal vision for how they were going to help the country. I really didn't see that at all in President Obama's speech. I think if I were a liberal, I would think that's what we're fighting for. You know, some small and not so small, but kind of mindless expansions of the welfare state and more of the same and more of the same that hasn't worked well or hasn't worked at all. I I thought it was really, in a way, an awfully long testament to the bankruptcy of liberalism. You know, Bill Crystal, I have an issue as a uh, normal human being sitting at home watching I, I understand that politicians are going to lie to me, but you've got to give me a lie I can at least, you know, pretend to believe. You know, Bill Clinton was very bad about leaving us in the lurch. You just couldn't buy for a second what he was saying. Last night when President Obama said, I want $50 billion for new road constructions, I want new schools, I want new daycare programs, I want more health care, quote, and there's no reason this should add a single dime to the deficit. I, it, that was a spit take moment. I mean, does, does he honestly b- expect us to believe that? I guess all that spending could be paid for by the tax increases he'd like to levy on us, so maybe it wouldn't add a dime to the deficit, but in that case it would just, you know, weigh down the economy even more, obviously. Solar energy, haven't you been impressed by the solar energy performance <laughs> of the last four years? <laughs> Don't you think that's what we need more of? There was a funny moment where I, I, mean, I read the transcript afterwards, obviously the text afterwards, I didn't see it, but mm-hmm. you know, where he pays tributes in a backhanded way to the incredible explosion of oil and gas over the last four years, especially natural gas, something that happened without any government help, and in fact over some resistance of the Obama administration and its liberal and environmental allies. It's such a wonderful case study over the last four years. We've had Solyndra and the solar power and the renewable stuff lavishly funded by the government, picking uh, the right co- the companies that they like, crony capitalism on the one hand, and the free market chugging away on the other hand with no help from the Obama administration uh, with fracking and, and oil and gas development. And which is working better? Which is actually going to solve our energy problem? It's really a startling contrast, but he, he just seems oblivious to it. You also mentioned in the Weekly Center blog today a comedy made about uh, uh, protecting our Americans abroad, and you asked the question, what did Lou do? Well, yeah, the president has a half sentence where he says, and he's committed to protecting our uh, Americans, our diplomats, and others abroad, which is sort of interesting in light of Benghazi, which has been in the news so much recently, where 
I think the consensus, even among honest liberals, is this president did not do what one might expect a president to do to protect Americans abroad in terms of actually personally paying attention to it and making sure that some vague directive he issued to do everything he could was actually followed up on and the like. Uh, Jack Lew testifies today before the Senate Finance Committee. He's been nominated to be Treasury Secretary. He was the White House Chief of Staff on September 11, 2012. There's a photo of a meeting in the Oval Office that night uh, in which uh, Lou, Lou is there. So he could testify as to whether what Obama did. We know he didn't speak to Secretary Panetta or Chairman Dempsey. Uh, he didn't speak to Secretary Clinton until the next morning. So uh, did he do anything that night? Did he even talk to his national security advisor, Tom Donilon? Did Jack Lew talk to Secretary Panetta? I don't think so. Panetta said he didn't talk to anyone in the White House. Did Lou talk to the Deputy Secretary of Defense? Did anyone in the White House care that an American ambassador was missing and another American, I think at that point, was already known dead? And, two, and then there's going to be further, you know, as it turns out, of course, a further firefights, and, and Americans were clearly at risk and in danger uh, on foreign territory. It really, I, th- I think, the obviously most of the questioning of Jack Lew will have to do with uh, the budget and what he would do as Treasury Secretary, but I think it's very legitimate to ask him, as White House Chief of Staff, what the President did that night. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't get a lot of that, Bill. I had to get up and go across the room to get a, th- a bottle of water. I was so dry listening to this. You know, it's funny that it, I think it sums up this, the uh, level of seriousness around the State of the Union address last night that probably the number one story in the news cycle the next day is Marco Rubio had to drink water <laughs> during his Republican response. Yeah, I guess, I guess he had actually... You know, the mistake he made, I think, is that, if I'm not mistaken, he watched the State of the Union. He went to the State of the Union. Right. I guess he felt he had to send her and then sort of had to hurry over to the room in the Capitol to, to, to give the response and was, you know, and, and needed a drink of water, which is fine. Obviously, he probably should have just skipped going to the State of the Union and, and <laughs> take, taking it easy, taking it easy for the half hour before his... Look, you're just spoiled from the green room over at Fox, Bill. You're used to having your feet up, people bringing you Danish and coffee. You're just living a different lifestyle from these senators, Bill Crystal. Right. They, they pour the water. They, you know, they, they pour the water for us into a glass. And of course, you know, <laughs> gently lower it to bring it to our lips. You know how well we're treated there. No, Absolutely. I mean, I, I thought Rubio's speech was good, actually. And, um, and you know, that the water thing and all that will be actually, I think, will go down as a kind of endearing moment, less scripted than the usual politician, a guy who actually just needed a quick uh, drink of water and took one. Uh, I can't let you go on this podcast without asking you about Chuck Hagel and word that there may, in fact, be more than 40 votes to hold up his nomination. We're getting more and more information out. There's a video of some ver- uh, some speeches he gave with some disturbing content that are now appearing. It- Where is the Hagel nomination today, Bill Crystal? Well, it was reported out of the Armed Services Committee with a, by a party-line vote yesterday, and one of the Democrats desperately want to jam it through before the recess next week, so they're going to try to bring it to the floor tomorrow. I- we'll have... 41 votes to prevent this kind of ridiculous rush to judgment, as if there's any great rush, as if the world can't do with that Chuck Hagel for Defense Secretary for two more weeks. While we learn what's in these speeches that he was supposed to have disclosed over a month ago to the committee and didn't disclose. I mean, this isn't the opponent's fault. This is entirely Chuck Hagel's fault that we're still learning stuff that we should have had access to uh, weeks ago. So I think it's very legitimate and really correct for the Republicans not to accede to Harry Reid's demand that this thing having been voted out on a party-line vote yesterday is supposed to go through the whole Senate tomorrow. And I think Republicans will hang tough. I actually think it will be important as the first vote, the first significant vote after the State of the Union, Republicans show that they're willing to stand up defend their prerogatives, uh, at least get some time to have a serious debate about this man who's going to have an awfully important job for the next uh, four years if, he, if he's confirmed. One last question on that. If, as you pointed out, there are all kinds of practical reasons just from a standpoint of getting information 
to wait on on this vote. There, of course, the disturbing performance of Chuck Hagel, who was awful. I mean, it was like the guy who shows up for the final who hasn't cracked the book. Is it going to is this going to be the case where not a single Democrat at least stands up and says, yeah, yeah, I'm going to vote to hold off until after the break, too. We need information. Is it truly just going to be, Mr. President, I don't care that I'm a senator. I don't care that I represent a state. I don't care about the tradition of the institutions of my party. I'm just going to give you, Barack Obama, my vote, however you want it. I mean, it looks that way. As you and I discussed last week, when when there was a kind of analogous nominee in the Bush administration for a major job, which I would say is Harriet Myers for the Supreme Court, though I, I think she was better qualified than Chuck Hagel, honestly. Uh, Republicans and conservatives said, wait a second, and eventually she withdrew, uh, because Republicans and conservatives actually cared about getting a high-quality uh, conservative jurist on the Supreme Court. Uh, there are well-qualified, moderate liberal Democrats, people who served in Obama's Defense Department in the first term who could serve as Secretary of Defense. Yeah, but you're right. It's really shocking. I mean, I am a little shocked. The Democratic senators just seem to have decided their job is to rubber stamp Barack Obama's picks and Barack Obama's agenda. Well, to, uh, to harken back to something you said when we first started this conversation, when it comes to busting the filibuster, which is under the you know, way right now from Harry Reid, and uh, rubber stamping an awful nominee, you just wonder if 10 years from now when the Senate is a weakened institution and people ask why, and the answer is Barack Obama, if it's going to be worth the price, because <laughs> I got to say, he's not exactly, as you pointed out earlier, doing anything with his power to uh, to uh, that that would justify such a high price tag. I don't think. One, it really would be good. I mean, plenty of Republicans opposed plenty of things Bush wanted to do. There were some vigorous debates. God knows immigration, even the Social Security initiative, um, the foreign policies had you know many critics, and I was one of them on how it was executed. It would be nice if some Democrats stood up and said, you know. We were liberals. We, we we don't agree with those terrible Republicans over there, but we don't agree with the president on this or that, or we're willing to even stand up to him on this or that. The Democratic Party in Congress has really become, it really has become a rubber stamp. It's not healthy, really, for the country uh, or for Congress, or I think really for the Democratic Party. They're, they think they're flying high now, but I think they're going to really, um, I think they could really get their comeuppance in 2014 and 2016. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for your time. You were one of the lucky people who evaded the SOTU. I had to sit and watch the whole thing for my radio listeners. We've got the podcast together. Thanks so much for joining us for the Weekly Standard Podcast. Be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I am your host, Michael Graham.